Here's a question for you. Have you ever wondered who's behind the smart devices you use every day? Or about who set the stage for the digital age that we live in? Well, in this episode, we're going to explore the life of a man who is instrumental in shaping our tech-savvy world, Alan Turing. His life story is a blend of intellectual prowess, patriotic service, and poignant tragedy. My name is Andrew, and this is Chatterbox, the QLIP series for intermediate to advanced English learners, which features interesting conversations about fascinating topics, which could range from current events to popular trends and hot issues to significant cultural subjects. And today, we're going to be discussing the life and enduring legacy of Alan Turing. And a lesson like this can be more important than you might initially think. You see, learning English extends beyond the basics of grammar, vocabulary, and pronunciation. It's also about understanding the people and the culture that influence the perspectives and behavior of English speakers. So by exploring these, you'll be able to gain a deeper understanding of the English-speaking mindset and the psychology of English speakers. And this will help you to expand your cultural and your linguistic awareness, and I think ultimately boost your fluency. So I hope you'll enjoy learning with this lesson as much as I did preparing it. And I have to say, preparing this episode was an extremely interesting and educational process for me. So let me outline the plan for today. We're going to start by taking a look at Alan Turing's biography, and then I'll be joined by my co-host Anna, and we'll chat together about Turing's life and enduring legacy. Now, the best way to study with this episode is by following along with the study guide. In the study guide, you'll find an interactive transcript, definitions and usage examples of the key vocabulary that you'll hear Anna and I use, a quiz, and even prompts that you can use for speaking and writing practice. To get the study guide, you have to be a QLIPS member. When you're a QLIPS member, you'll get the helpful study guides actually for all of our episodes, plus many other great benefits like ad-free audio, access to our member-only series, The Fluency Files, invitations to member-only events like our monthly live streams, plus access to the member-only section on our Discord community, and even more. So to sign up, just visit our website, qlips.com, or follow the link in the description. Speaking of our Discord, make sure to head on over there after listening to this episode so we can keep the discussion going. We'd love to hear what you think, and our Discord server is the best place to share your opinion with us and the whole Qlips community. In addition to that, the Discord also gives us a wonderful way to practice speaking and writing two skills that you can't really develop just from listening to the podcast alone. So push yourself a little bit, don't be shy, and come join our welcoming community on Discord. To do that, you can just follow the link in the description for this episode. And now let's start with our main topic for today, the life and legacy of Alan Turing. We'll start by learning a little bit about his life story. So let's go back to 1912. 
In this year, Alan Turing was born in London, England, and even as a kid, he was always solving problems and thinking logically, and these skills would end up shaping his future in a big way. Turing's academic journey took him all the way to King's College at Cambridge University, where he studied mathematics and became a fellow at the age of 22, which is a very big accomplishment. It was there at Cambridge where he created the Turing machine. Now, in simple terms, the Turing machine is a conceptual device that uses predefined rules to manipulate symbols. It's kind of like the great-grandfather of the computer that we use today. Pretty remarkable, and his breakthroughs in this field changed everything. Turing's genius wasn't just theoretical, though. During World War II, he worked at Bletchley Park, which was Britain's code-breaking office. And there, he was instrumental in developing a device called the bomb, which deciphered the Enigma codes used by Nazi Germany. So during the war, the German Navy used some boats called U-boats, and these boats had deadly missiles, which they would fire at ships who were bringing supplies from North America to the UK to aid the war effort. And the role that Turing played was crucial because the decoded messages allowed these convoys from North America to evade the German U-boats. And as a consequence, they were able to transport these necessary supplies to the Allied forces in Europe. So the intelligence gained from cracking the Enigma code was a game changer for the UK and its allies. In fact, World War II British cryptographer Captain Jerry Roberts is quoted as saying, without him, we would have lost the war. At the end of the war in 1945, Turing was awarded an OBE, which stands for the Order of the British Empire, and it's an award that recognized his contributions and service to his country. Now, Turing's post-war life took him to Manchester University, where he started working on the emerging field of artificial intelligence. And here, he devised the Turing test, which is a protocol to see if a machine could pass as a human. Now, for chess fans like me as well, I thought this was an interesting fact. He even wrote a chess software program before a computer capable of running it even existed. So he wrote the software for a chess program before a computer that could run that software had even been invented yet. I just don't know how you could possibly do that, but I thought that was really cool. Unfortunately, Turing's personal life took a tragic turn in 1952. After a romantic relationship with a man named Arnold Murray, Turing was charged with gross indecency. You see, at that time, being a homosexual was considered a crime in the UK. So after being charged with this crime, he was given a choice. Go to prison or be chemically castrated. He chose the latter, which led to his security clearance being removed, his travel was restricted, and work opportunities were taken away from him and the hormonal injections that he was forced to take also wreaked havoc on his body. Tragically, Turing was found dead in his home on June the 8th, 1954, possibly by suicide. It's speculated that he ate an apple that he had laced with cyanide poison. But several people close to him, including his mother and some of his colleagues, claimed that his death was accidental. 
and in fact, there wasn't a suicide note left behind. After Turing's death, there was a huge debate and outcry about the treatment that he had faced during the last final years of his life. Now fast forward to the year 2009, Prime Minister Gordon Brown finally apologized for Turing's treatment, calling it appalling. And in 2013, Turing received a royal pardon, and in 2017, there was a new law created called the Allen-Turing Law, which pardoned all men who were convicted of homosexuality-related crimes during the period when it was illegal. Turing's story is, of course, tragic, but it's one that's left an undeniable impact. So that's just a very brief glimpse at the life and legacy of Alan Turing, everyone. His contributions to computing and code-breaking have shaped our modern world, and his story continues to inspire and touch hearts around the globe. And now it's time to bring in Anna, and we'll start our conversation about the remarkable Alan Turing. So joining me now to talk about the life and legacy of Alan Turing is my co-host, Anna. Hey there, Anna. It's good to be here with you today. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everyone. How are you all doing today? Yeah, I'm great, Anna. And of course, our topic for today is Alan Turing, his life and his legacy. And since you're a British person, Anna, I thought oh, this would be great to talk with you about Turing and to get your general perspective of like Turing's legacy in the UK. I'm really interested to find out more about that. So maybe I could start just by asking you, when you were like a student in elementary school, middle school, high school, is Turing in the curriculum? Is he somebody that you study in school? That's a really good question, Andrew. And and guys, just so you know, curriculum just means what people study. So there's different curriculums for different subjects like history, geography, etc. And then you can kind of use it in a general way as well, like the curriculum in general. So um, just so you know, that's that's what that means. Well, honestly, Andrew, when I was thinking about this and I was um, uh, trying to remember about when I learned about Alan Turing, and actually I imagine it probably is on the curriculum but I don't know for sure right now I mean I was at school a long time ago okay so this is another chapter of my life but the one place that I did learn about Alan Turing is I went to Bletchley Park where they were doing all of this stuff that Alan Turing is very well known respected and 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 famous for um, which was breaking codes basically of German machines. So that's where I learned actually about him, or I can remember that's where I learned more about him. So it's a house and it's near um, a place in England called Milton Keynes, which is actually an interesting town in itself because it's a completely manufactured town. Like they just decided they're like, we're going to build Milton Keynes. And they built Milton <laughs> Keynes. Um, so it's kind of like a, a modern a modern town or city. So that's where I remember learning about Alan Turing and what they did there. And it's actually a really kind of small but beautiful country house, very English. But in terms of the curriculum, I imagine so. He's a very um, well-respected and important part of British history. And I think, Andrew, as you know, there was a, a big film that was made about his life um, in um, the last few years, which obviously was great in terms of bringing his life and his work to 
more people and, and, and showcasing what he actually did, which was kind of mind-blowing, really. So that movie is called The Imitation Game. And I, I saw the movie. Anna, did you watch it? Yes, I have seen it. Yes. Yeah, I did. I did watch it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I thought it was really good. And I would recommend it to anybody who would like to learn a little bit more about Turing. Of course, you know, movies, we, we never know if they're an accurate representation of the true story or not. But I thought it was pretty cool. And it was really awesome in the movie to see all the replicas of the code breaking machines and computers that they built back then and that were at Bletchley Park. That was really incredible to see. Anna, is that now a museum? Has it been turned into a museum or something? Like, can you go inside and tour it? Or did you just see it from the outside? No, no, no. It's, it's a museum. You can go in, you can have a look. And I have to say, because um, my dad is... Uh, uh, Okay, so this is the type of dad that I had. When I was younger, when I was, um, you know, in my teenage years, we would go to France on holiday because that's where the battlefields were. So my dad liked to look at battlefields and things like this. Okay, you get the picture, right? So Bletchley Park was on the list. It was one of the museums um, that we had to go and visit. And I have to say, at the time, I was about uh, 13 or something like this, and it was quite dry. Mm dry guys just means slightly boring right but um because you know they they explain to you with a lot of detail about what's going on and obviously when you're 13 you know you want something interactive a screen or well maybe not a screen then but anyway so it is a museum so i would definitely recommend if you're really interested in that and you you know this kind of um if you're interested in things to do with the war and and what alan did then it could be a really great place to to visit but yes it is a museum um and it has a website and you could yeah you guys can go on and and, and have a look at it in doing some research for this episode, Anna, I actually learned a funny fact about Bletchley Park, and that is that Alan Turing was worried that the Nazis may invade England and that the English would actually lose the war. And he was worried about losing his savings and his money. So he actually buried some silver in the garden at Bletchley Park and he made like a code. <laughs> of course, he, he, he buried course. The, the, the silver and then wrote uh, a code to lock the silver up. And then after the war was finished, he tried to dig up the silver again and he couldn't crack his own code. He forgot how to solve it and couldn't understand his instructions. So he was never able to get the silver back and legend has it that it's still buried somewhere there. Ooh, I didn't know that. That's something new. They didn't they didn't tell me that at the museum. Yeah. Maybe the museum's still trying to break the code, trying to find out where the silver is. Um, oh, nobody, I, I, I didn't know that. But I mean, it's, it's fitting, right, that he would write a code and, and, and lock it up. But I mean, he's obviously got a huge legacy in the UK. And in English, we might say something like, you know, he worked for his country. You know, he was part of the effort to try and... Um, defeat um, the enemy and and you know that was a huge thing so maybe he wasn't always as recognized and actually you know a lot of people say that at the time he wasn't actually recognized for what he did because it was secret nobody could know about it so that's kind of like weird to think about right that your legacy is you know m many years later than when you're actually doing things because obviously the things that he was doing were were top secret confidential I'm sure that many people never even knew what they were doing at Park. 
That's something that I think is important to understand because when I you know, was learning about Alan Turing and his arrest specifically, I thought, why wouldn't he just tell the police, like, hey, you guys, you know, I'm kind of a big deal, you know, like I <laughs> developed all these code breaking uh, machines that prevented a Nazi invasion of Britain. And, you know, I've met Winston Churchill and I have all these connections to the elite in, in the country. Um, he was undercover, right? He had taken a vow of secrecy. All of this was top, top secret stuff. He couldn't say that to the police. Like that would have been breaking his vow to the country. And he couldn't say that. And that's why I don't think anybody knew exactly who he was when he was going through his legal problems. So yeah, and guys, just to just to mention as well, um, I like that thing I just you said there were, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of people know me. I'm kind of a big deal. Right. So when we say that, it's kind of like a colloquial way, but it just means I'm somebody important. I'm 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 kind of a big deal around here. Um so we say that kind of in an informal way. And kinda is just kind of joined with kind of. So we kind of join it together and we say it and it kind of sounds like kinda. Kinda, kind of a big deal. Kinda a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I was wondering, because Turing also recently, uh, I think it was just a few years ago, maybe 2020 or 2019, somewhere around then, he is now featured on the 50-pound note, the, the physical money. And I was curious how common of currency it is. Like here in Korea, we have a 50,000 won note. Uh, which is actually really common. It's in circulation all the time. But in Canada, the $50 bill is really rare. And I don't see it very often at all, to be honest with you. Is it the same in the UK? Like, do you see that note in circulation? If you buy something in the store, maybe uh, you'll get some change with that bill? Or is it quite rare? Oh, it's rare. I mean, you don't come across a 50, um, you know, in your day to day life. And if you do, you certainly feel like you're a big deal, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to pay in 50s. And actually, guys, one interesting thing about the money in the UK is they've actually changed the banknotes, like the material of the banknotes. So if you go to the UK now, the money is really weird. It's like plastic money. It's not like paper. You can't tear it. Um, so it's kind of indestructible money, I guess we would say, but it's really weird. So if you go to the UK now, you will get these notes and they feel like plastic. You can't bend them. You can't fold them. It's strange, but no, 50... 50 pound notes are not very common. And that's the same in Spain, actually, here. You don't often see a 50 euro note, maybe a little bit more. But yeah, you certainly feel like a big deal if you've got a 50 in your wallet. Uh, that's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if anybody wants to visit the UK and wants to get some of this Alan Turing money on the 50 pound note, then maybe you have to go to the bank and specifically request it. You can't really expect to get it when you're out shopping and getting change. Anna, I have one final question for you before we wrap up our talk here. And that is just off the top of your head, if you had to give me three words or maybe three adjectives to describe the life and legacy of Alan Turing, what comes to mind? One of the things that comes to mind immediately in my head is admirable. And I think the reason that comes into my head is because somebody who has 
done work or has worked for our country essentially or my country the UK and also benefited many other countries as well uh, by doing that and he was the founding father a lot of people say of, of AI essentially um so you know the guy that started all of this off so I think anybody that has such a brilliant mind that um is able to do that should be highly respected so admirable for me um fits and he's also had a troubled life as I mentioned before he went through difficult periods in his life and so and I'm sure that was really hard so admirable for me is something that comes off the top of my head what about you the first word that pops into my head is visionary visionary because I think he was so far ahead of the pack Uh, in terms of other students uh, that he went to school with and just his peers around him. He really seems just like an anomaly, right? It's like one of those people that is just gifted in a way that I can't even really understand. Like, I don't even know what it would be like to just have a brain that works differently than everyone else's. Mm. Even just trying to understand a little bit of his work is so difficult for me. I get lost right away trying to understand his work in cryptography and in computing. It's like way too difficult for me to understand just in the simplest terms. But for him to invent these things and to come up with these ideas, I mean, he wrote a chess software program before there were even computers available to run the software. So he's like thinking in programming terms before there are even computers that can run this kind of software. So it's like, that's on a whole nother level. To me, that is just visionary. I like that one. And you said there, Andrew, ahead of the pack, which everyone just means kind of more advanced. And another way that we say this as well is ahead of the curve. So ahead of the pack, ahead of the curve are are similar expressions. And yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Um, I, I think it must be also hard as a visionary because people just aren't on your level. Like, and I mean that in, in the best way possible, like everybody's good at different things, right? So not everybody's going to be a visionary. And I'm so happy that we have people that are visionaries because they help move everything forward. And I'm really happy about that. But it must be lonely because you know, when your your mind is thinking about all these things, like you said, this software that was created before we even had computers. I mean, finding people that are on your level is going to be really, really difficult. So it's probably lonely being a visionary, but also at the same time, it takes over your life, right? You probably can't think about anything else other than all of these amazing ideas that you have in your head. So I really like that, that adjective you chose for him there, visionary. I think that's really, really fitting. And that concludes today's episode, everyone. We hope you found the discussion interesting and helpful for building your English language skills. You were able to listen to this episode for free thanks to the generous support of our member community. And without the support of our members, Culips wouldn't exist. So a big thanks to all the members out there. Now, if you're not a member yet, why don't you think about joining? You'll gain access to the in-depth, helpful study guides and full transcripts that we make for all of our episodes, plus great bonus content and more. In addition to that, there are also plenty of other ways to support us too. You could follow us on Instagram or YouTube, join the lively discussions on our Discord server, 
recommend Qlips to friends who are learning English, or leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, happy English learning, take care, and I'll see you all on Discord. Bye.